0: at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf.
1: Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I am the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to develop themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. Today, I am delighted to have with us Ed Trolley. Ed is the SVP of Managed Training Services for NIIT He's widely recognized as having started the training outsourcing industry when he orchestrated the first comprehensive training outsourcing deal between DuPont and the Forum Corporation in 1993. He's orchestrated more comprehensive training outsource relationships than anyone on the planet. So, Ed, you are clearly the leader in this field, and I am delighted to share that you're willing to share your expertise with our listeners. So I want this series to provide valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders that help them stay current on trends that will be impacting them or already are impacting them and allow them to be top of their game. So in addition to sharing models and our experiences, I invite each of our listeners to identify one thing from each weekly segment that you can either put into practice in your leadership or that influences the way you think about leadership. So for this session, my out, the outcomes that we hope you as our listeners take away is uh, as we think about learning transformation, the view is worth the climb. In a world where jobs are changing dramatically and there's a shortage of skilled workers... Training can be a strategic business enabler, yet most companies don't have the expertise and competence to provide training that effectively and efficiently meets the needs of their businesses. Employee development is a critical element for all companies, and companies need the right people, processes, and technologies to keep their talent current. And as we talk about the rate of change, this has never been more true than now. And as we're looking forward at the impacts of AI and robotics and and other technology solutions, it it will continue to become more crucial as we go forward for organizations to stay competitive. So how can organizations make the changes that learning and development is delivering business value that is measurable to the corporations at an acceptable cost? So Ed, welcome and thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you, Maureen. Happy to be here.
1: So can you start with, tell us a little bit about yourself. You have quite a storied career, and I would love for our listeners to hear a little bit more.
2: Happy to. Uh, So let me just first say why this is such an important topic. You, You can hardly read a business article that doesn't talk about the fact that we have more jobs today than we have people with the skills and capabilities to fill them. Most organizations think that some seventy percent of their employees are going to be need going to need to be reskilled in the next two to three years. That's a huge opportunity for training to make a business impact un unrealized before in our history. So let me let me tell you a bit about myself. I spent 26 years at the DuPont company. I worked in three of DuPont's businesses, uh, their textile fibers business, their medical products business, and their agricultural products business. And then my last job at DuPont in 1992, I was asked to move to corporate HR and take over the reins of corporate training with with the mandate to transform it. The reason... The mandate existed was business executives across DuPont thought that a lot of money was being spent on training with a lot of people involved in designing, developing, and delivering training. They didn't know what the number was, however, which was a real problem for a 140,000-person company. Uh, They looked at the corporate training budget and thought that was the essence of what was being spent on training, and that was not true. It actually represented about 20% of what was being spent because training was highly decentralized at DuPont. It was going on everywhere. Everybody was a trainer in DuPont at at that time. This was in 1992. Um, So I had this job of transforming it. and, And, you know, there's that old saying, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Well... I didn't know where I was going uh, at this point other than I had this charge to transform training. So I I asked to speak with our chairman and CEO, and I posed a couple of questions to him. The first question I asked him was, how important is development of people? And he said, well, it's critically important. I mean, it's the way we get competitive advantage. I said, well, then, if it's so critically important, how good do we need to be at it? And he said, you need to be world-class at it. And, and my third question then was, can we ever be world class? And he said, well, I doubt it because our business and our core competence is making, selling and distributing chemicals. So the way we get to world class is we find someone who has that core competence that can, that we can partner with and bring that to DePont. So that's what I want you to do. Find a partner who can do this with us and let's take training to a new level in DePont. So. In 1993, I took a decision to outsource almost all of DuPont's training. The only things that were left out were manufacturing training and product training. Uh, the manufacturing training represented about a quarter of the total spend at DuPont at the time, which was about a billion dollars, we found. Not, not just what was being spent in corporate training, but there was another you know, another large, large chunk of money being spent across the globe. Um, so I took this decision to outsource it, uh, and I went in search of a partner. Well, there was nobody doing training outsourcing in 1992, so there were no companies to talk to. I, but I, knew, I, I didn't know a whole lot about the training industry because I'd never been in it. I, you know, I did a lot of research. I talked to my team. Uh, we identified a bunch of companies to take a look at. I didn't do what companies do today, which is to do a request for proposal. I went out and talked to companies to understand. I wanted, you know, like I really wanted to talk to them face to face. I had some key criteria. One was training needed to be their business and core competence. And second, they needed to be culturally compatible with DuPont. So that narrowed, that narrowed the field pretty dramatically. Uh, anyhow, I went in search. I talked to a number of the key training companies in the industry. There were no training service companies at the time. Um, uh, and, and after an extensive period of time, I found a company, a small company called the Forum Corporation, uh, headquartered in Boston. They were, they were very small relative to DuPont's size at the time, uh, but... They had a vision, which was a business vision for training, which is what I was looking for. So their vision was, basically their tagline was, where learning means business. And I thought that mapped directly to what we wanted to do, which was to ensure that training was highly relevant to the business, delivering quantifiable, measurable business value and impact. So I partnered with them in 1993. We took the outsourcing route. We had to create it together because it had never been done before in the industry. Um, that relationship created some amazing results. We went from we went from a training environment that had a big catalog of thousands and thousands of training programs that were thrown out, you know, with the message, I'll come and get it, to to a very targeted, smaller curriculum and Seventy percent of the training became what I called business-issue-driven training, which was find an, a major issue in the business, figure out if there's a people component to it, which there likely always is, find out if, if training can be an enabler for that people component, and then design and develop the training and deliver it to the business. Uh, some amazing work was done while I was there. Um, I managed the relationship for three years till 1996, and then I joined the Forum Corporation, the company that I had outsourced to, and we built a training outsourcing business, which led the market for uh, seven eight years. Following that, um, we actually did fourteen comprehensive training outsourcing deals over the course of six years, um, and then and then Forum got out of the business when they got acquired in uh, around two thousand two. So um, that's uh, that's what happened. Now in nineteen ninety nine. After, after talking with hundreds, if not thousands of business executives about training inside large companies, we, we, we were hearing the same things from business executives about training. Fundamentally, they said, they said, look, it's just not working for us. We're spending lots of money. We're not getting enough value. Uh, they said that that uh, that they believed in learning they they really understood that learning was critical to their organization you know and you could see that in like the every almost every annual report companies say our people are our only source of sustainable competitive advantage, which means they have to have the skills and capabilities to do the work that's required to deliver value to their customers. Jack Welch a long time ago said, "The companies that win will be those that learn the fastest and, and apply that learning to work." So, so that's why this is an important topic. The problem, however, is while business leaders were sold on learning, they weren't sold on training. They were skeptical of the people in processes. Um, they, you know, I, I I compare this to IT. Information technology back in the days when it was called data processing. Data processing people used to walk around the halls of companies and business people would look at them and say, who are those people? What do they do? They have bad haircuts and they're wearing, they have pocket protectors. And I don't know what they're doing for us, but I think we need them. Well, that's what happened with training. People were walking around talking a different language in the business from training. Uh, business folks didn't understand what they were talking about and didn't know how to utilize them in a way that would create value. Uh, so they viewed it, they were skeptical of the people and processes. They viewed it as fixing a problem, uh, intrinsically tactical, and, and they said, sometimes we get improved performance, but not all the time. But they wanted... More value. They wanted more value. So, so we wrote this book called "Running Training Like a Business" as a result of what we were hearing from companies. That book has been out since 1999. It is still the seminal work in the industry on how to transform learning and development uh, in in large companies. Now, one of the things we said in this book was mm-hmm. that that the 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 the, the reason businesses aren't sold on training is because their operating premises in training are different from the business operating premises. You know, it was kind of like there's always a demand for training, it's assumed. Plus or minus 10% We're always going to do training inside our company. They had to operate within budgets. They had to be sustained, sustained by corporate edict. It was normally a very large fixed cost, uh, which means businesses paid for it whether they used it or not. They got it normally as a monthly allocation. The job of training was to convey content, teach skills, build competencies, and they measured their success by activity levels and budget compliance. When when on the business side of things, they had to live with they lived with risk. They had to maximize profits. They were sustained by their customers. They were variable costs. So customers only paid them for the services they used. And their job was to meet customer needs and they measured their success by the customer's success and therefore their profitable growth. So that's, that's what we wrote about in Running Train Like a Business, and, and it has been... I mean, I tell you, I talk today to people 19 years later who say they carry the book around with them all the time. It has been instrumental to them in, in learning how to manage and transform uh, their training organizations and bring more value to the business. So... Um, you know, so let me just describe what running training like a business is all about. It really has what I call the twin tails. The first, the first side is that it has to be effective, and effectiveness is about value creation. So it needs to be linked to the business strategy. It needs to be focused on business issues rather than training content. Uh, we have to let customer demand shape what we bring to our customers We have to have a business mission. We have to see ourselves as an enterprise or a business, not as a function or not as overhead in the organization. We have to talk the language of business. We have to measure ourselves in business metrics, not just training metrics. Uh, And then the second side of the twin tails is we have to be efficient. So we have to expose hidden costs. We have to aggressively get costs to acceptable levels in the context of value being delivered uh, and cost there's, there's a way to think about cost. There's the, co- the, the direct cost of training, which is the out-of-pocket cost for staff and vendors and technology and facilities and all that stuff. There's an additional set of costs that I call indirect costs, the cost of people's time while they're in training, the cost of poor quality, and, and the big indirect cost is the lost productivity while people are in training and not doing the jobs they're being paid to do. Those total costs actually uh, measure out to be five times the direct costs. So if you think you're spending a hundred million dollars, you're spending five hundred million dollars, and and that's not trivial in today's world.
1: And that's a, an incredibly important point for our listeners to be thinking about. That if I think I'm spending a hundred million dollars. That's the out-of-pocket cost plus the $500 million for the people who are attending training and not doing the other work they're getting paid to do. So that's a $600 million. And then the other is the opportunity cost in that I expect them to be performing better as presumably do your clients. And so there's also a, a lost work effort if the training isn't delivering the results or expecting. So you've made a brilliant business case about why outsourcing. As we go on break, I encourage our listeners to think about how much their organizations are spending on training and if they're getting the right results. And for those of you not managing a training organization, think about the last time you attended training and how effective it was versus did you get what you were hoping to get. We'll be right back with Maureen Metcalf and Ed Trolley talking about outsourcing training.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call one 866 472 Five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two fifty seven ninety or send an email to info at innovative leadership Now back to this week's program.
1: So, Ed, you've given us an incredibly robust background about how training outsourcing started and what the business case is for it. So, now let's fast forward to you can't escape, I think, as you said, that. Um, every time we pick up a business journal, we're seeing about the rate of change we're facing. So, so in the context of rapid change, what's the state of corporate
2: training today? Well, that's a great question, Maureen. Um, uh, let, me, let me just knit it out and say it's not good. Um, all the industry research points to that fact. So I'll, t- I'll give you some background on this. So I believe, first off, that there are a set of questions that are unanswered questions. These unanswered questions have been around for as long as I have been in this industry. Questions like, how much are we spending today? That's the most elusive number in big companies. Uh, I have yet to talk with a senior business executive who can answer the question for the company that they are a part of, because, because no one knows. And how, until how they figure that, that out... Until they figure that out, it's hard to make the right kinds of decisions. And then, you know, and then they're only looking at the direct spend. If you do, if you go back and think about my total cost comment, you know, if they find out whatever the direct spend is, they can multiply it by five. That's what they need really need to be managing is the total spend, because I believe you make very different decisions when you understand the total spend of training. So how much are we spending today? a day? I question. Where's the money going? Unanswered question. What value are we getting from our current investment? The biggest of the unanswered questions, because at the end of the day, that's the so what of training. It's about creating value for the businesses. You know, how can we make it better, faster, and cheaper? Things that companies worry about all the time. Um, that, are, that they struggle with when it comes to this very large unmanaged training spend. Um, how do we ensure operational and financial control? How do we begin and gain organizational support? How do we achieve and sustain improvements? And how do we measure the value? of our future investment. I believe those unanswered questions have resulted in a business imperative for training coming from business executives that says you've got to reduce costs. You've got to move fixed costs to variable costs. You've got to become more relevant. You have to increase the value from your work, and you have to focus on the strategic elements of the business. That's the business imperative or mandate that I believe learning leaders, if they're not hearing it today, they will very soon. I always encourage learning leaders to not wait to hear that mandate, but be proactive and address those things now so that they can ensure that when the questions are asked, they have great answers for them. So the state of training today um so that's that's the that's the negative part on the on the pos on the plus side there's lots of good stuff going on these days very innovative work around virtual reality uh, augmented reality gamification uh, tying games into learning so that people learn better you know um my company n i t is one of the largest training largest and leading training outsource outsourcing companies in the industry Content, custom content development is, is one of our flagship services. And, and we are really good at it because we acquired a company called Cognitive Arts back in 2002. Cognitive Arts had its origins as a research institute at Northwestern University in Chicago. And, and that research institute had a, grant, a large grant to study how adults naturally learn. And out of that work, how do they that work? They developed a set of principles and a design methodology for training, which we use today at, at NIIT. Uh, but the, the, there is a couple key principles that I think are worth mentioning. One is that people don't learn by being told. So sitting in a classroom being told stuff, the retention of that is very, very low. Like, like within three hours, people have forgotten 80% of what they learned, what they were told. So people don't learn by being told. They learn by doing. So the training that involves, you know, immersive learning, putting people into situations that they're going to experience on the job to learn the things that they need to learn in order to do their jobs better, that's that's not optional anymore. Gamification is a way to make that work even better. What we have learned is that game developers – the, the people that develop games like Tomb Raider and those sorts of things that I don't know much about, but the kids do, um, they really understand how people learn. So they create scenarios. They put people in scenarios. They immerse them in an environment where where they have an opportunity to make mistakes. So make, people learn. Another principle from Cognitive Arts, now NIT, is people learn best when they make mistakes. So... People are put into situations in games where they make mistakes. Now, what happens when they make a mistake? There's some dramatic, some dramatic consequence. That's the, that's the next principle. You have to dramatize the consequences of, of the mistakes because that embeds, that embeds the learning into the brain so that people remember and retain the learning. So game developers do that really, really well they you know they explode things they kill people they do all that stuff and those things are memorable to the people who are playing the games um, so that's the way we design training these days that's the, and and this whole stuff around putting people in virtual reality situations where they are in literally like in a room that they're going to be working in at some point in time in a, in a manufacturing facility or in a in a a, a mine and they're trying to understand you know, how to be safer. They are, they are presented with risks along the way and they have to make decisions about those risks and what do they do about it. And if they make a mistake, it could kill them or kill somebody else or they could fall in a big hole. Who knows what the consequences are? But there are consequences. So if we can create training that immerses people in the learning experience, the, the chances of them retaining that learning and being able to apply it on the job goes up dramatically almost ex- exponentially so, so so i think go ahead
1: so if we think of examples of industries that have done this really well it's something like the airline industry and pilots when they jump into a new plane don't just go take it for a spin they they do extensive simulation
2: work first so Absolutely, the simulation, the pilot simulation work is is a great example because they, I mean, they look, they don't, they don't show them how to do everything. They present them with situations. Our head of design at NIT often talks about um, the fact that there there was a time when wind shear was a major problem for airlines. Mm-hmm. Where where pilots pilots would experience wind shear, the plane would drop, or the plane would go. I don't. Know, I think it would drop, not go up, and and they wouldn't know how to handle it, and it caused a number of crashes. So it didn't take them long to figure out that they needed to present that in a simulation, and and wind shear acc- caused accidents have disappeared. They don't happen anymore as a result of putting people into that situation and letting them understand what they do when they face it, uh, and and therefore when they go back into the the real plane, they know how to deal with it when they face the, the problem.
1: You know, interestingly, because I happened to be hanging out with someone who was a pilot during that time, so he went off and did all the simulation, and then the test flights, they also had them do wind shear exercises consistently. So it was a simulation and then not quite real world with passengers, but more real world so I wonder about those progressive steps where I go off and practice in a class and then I come back to the office and I practice in a slightly safer space before I go go live as
2: yeah. it were. Yeah, critically important. Critically important to practice practice out of the live situation. <laughs> but you know, this even this even comes down to like things like working on a computer system. You know, if your if your job is to work on a computer system, and and enter things, and have a customer on the phone, and try to answer questions and the like, and you don't know you know you don't know how to do that, then that's a problem for your customer. So if you can create training. That, that instead of just telling people, well, when this occurs, you push this button, and when that occurs, you push that button, and you respond like this, you put them in a, in a simulated live situation where they're, on, they're literally on the phone with a customer, and they get a question, and they have to find the answer to it, and, and if they make a mistake, the customer comes back and says, well, you didn't give me a good answer. That's not, and this is all in a simulation, of course. You mm-hmm. know, and that makes them realize that they have, they have to know how to do this stuff in order to satisfy their customers' questions and needs.
1: You know, we do this with, uh, I did it earlier this week, with role-playing, how to give negative feedback. And we just have them sit down and, and practice with someone with a a real-life situation but not the person that they need to do it with so that they're making the connection rather than some random scenario, but they're making the connection with what they need to do when they go back to work on, you know, whatever the next day is.
2: Yeah. Well, think about our kids who go to school every day, you know, and they sit in a classroom and the teacher stands up in front and, and they're told a bunch of stuff and basically they try to memorize it. You know, so that when they take the test, they can answer the test questions. I mean, I remember when my daughter was in school and she would come home and say, I just don't understand this math stuff. And I would spend an enormous amount of time putting her in the situation, you know, giving her an example, saying, what would you do in this situation? And, you know, and that was really helpful to her uh, because it was the application of what she was learning, not just the facts and data of what she was learning.
1: And so what we knew, knew intuitively in these situations then is, is being validated by the researchers from Northwestern that NIIT purchased. What are the other things that you are doing and that we should be aware of if we are, are outsourcing our training?
2: Wow. Um, so, so let's talk about outsourcing. Um, so, you know, back back in the early '90s, when I outsourced Dupont's training. That was the only training outsourcing deal done in the industry. and It was the first deal, and it actually started the training outsourcing industry. I mean, it, it made the headlines. Wall Street Journal wrote about that. Uh, HR Executive Magazine had, the co- on the cover of the magazine, on the, on the monthly edition, shortly after the outsourcing deal was done, the title was, Can You Outsource Your Brain?, and they talked about what DuPont was doing about outsourcing training, you know. And, and, and the answer was, yes, you can. Yes, you can, because people whose core competence is this stuff called training can do it better than people who are in companies whose core competence in business is something else, you know. Um, so, so the state, you know, outsourcing has been around for a very long time. I want to make something clear about outsourcing, by the way. I think there's this belief and, and we see it on the news a lot. Outsourcing, people equate outsourcing to offshoring,
0: mm-hmm. which
2: means jobs go somewhere else outside the U.S. And that's just not so. Of course, there's an outsourcing component to it or an offshoring component to it. But there are many outsourcing companies in the U.S. who have large operations with large staffs of people. Those are jobs. Right, those are jobs. Large staffs of people performing services for other companies who don't who don't want to do those things themselves anymore. So, so outsourcing is is more than job loss. It's it's creating jobs and it's delivering more value. So uh, maybe I could talk a bit about the state of training outsourcing today. Uh, Let me. And, can and I jump why, in? Fr-
1: can I jump sure. in with just an example before we go to, to the state of outsourcing? Sure. Um, our company offers leadership training. We don't offshore anything, but we collaborate with our clients because we spend a lot of time and money doing the research about what's most current. So that's an example. We're clearly much smaller than the the scale that you're talking about, but it does illustrate, I think, that. It, it does not mean anything gets sent to another country so for people who are afraid that um, the training that comes back isn't going to be um, for some reason aligned with what you're up to.
2: Yeah, uh, well, of course. I mean, that, that's why there are thousands and thousands of training companies in the U.S. providing services to U.S.-based customers and global customers, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I, NIT is an Indian company but has a U.S. operation head- and headquarters for our corporate business. It's headquartered in Atlanta, and we serve the globe. And, And of course, all of our global cl- clients have operations in the U.S., and they have operations in Europe and Asia and Africa and all those places, and they all require service. And so, so we provide those services from lots of places across the globe, including the U.S.
1: So we're going to go on break in a minute, but can you give us the quick... Update on training outsourcing, and then we'll come back to that after break.
2: So the 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 so the quick story about training outsourcing is that that, and I will talk about this when we come back from break. I believe there are a set of myths about training outsourcing, or about outsourcing in general, but training outsourcing specifically. Uh, But let me just tell tell you what what I think about uh, outsourcing. I think it has an uneven reputation. Those who are opposed to it believe that promises made by outsourcers are not delivered, that outside parties can't understand their business like they do, they will lose control, that strategic activities can't be outsourced, and all is good and nothing different needs to be done. I can tell you that last thing is absolutely not true as it relates to training, and I will tell you why when we come back from break.
1: Great. Thank you so much. So for our listeners, again, as we go on break, I, I wonder how many of you have had experiences, both positive and negative, with outsourced training. You know, we, I think all of us have gone to various sorts of training that can be brilliantly done by anyone and others that if it's outsourced, it has to be done collectively. You don't throw it over the wall and expect it to be perfect. But there's that, to me, that middle-of-the-road outsourcing providers can integrate our content. So on that note, we will go on break. And Ed Trolley and Maureen Metcalf will be right back to talk about the myths of training outsourcing.
0: From the boardroom to you. We all hear about information security, identity, and privacy threats. The more technology becomes part of our lives, with more data created to provide insights about our lives, the more concerned we need to be. That's why it's important to tune in to data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor. Host Rebecca Harold is an internationally recognized expert in these areas. Rebecca and her guests will let you know how to keep your business and personal data safe. Listen live every Tuesday at 5 p.m eastern time 2 p.m pacific time on the voice america business channel
2: your favorite voice america talk radio network shows and hosts are in your car outdoors and wherever you need them to be listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market
0: voice america business network the bottom line in business
1: Welcome back to the conversation about training outsourcing. You are with Maureen Metcalf and Ed Trolley. And before break, Ed, you were giving us the update on the state of training outsourcing. Let's talk about that a little more before we move into the myths.
2: Okay. So I just wanted to offer one one additional thought here. Um, I believe it's time for all organizations, if you're not doing it today, to consider outsourcing. All or part of your training and development. Because the reasons are many it's not your core competence; it needs to be best in class or world class, and you can't ever get it to that, no matter what you think and I you know look, I understand that that organizations think they're doing really, really well. I talk to learning leaders all the time. Fact is, the research doesn't support that, and I'll talk about that later. Uh, you can reduce your total costs by a minimum of twenty percent. That's always an important thing to worry about. Um, you can move your fixed costs to fully variable costs, a pay-for-use model. I always say, I wrote in my book that business executives hate fixed costs. And if you have high fixed costs, then you might as well walk around with a sign on your back that says, Kick me, because business executives just hate to get allocations for things they may or may not use and may or may not be getting value from. You can eliminate need for internal headcount, dramatically improve the quality and impact of your training, uh, reduce the amount of time your employees spend in training, and return that time back to the business in the form of increased productivity. And you can ensure that your people will have the skills they require to support your businesses. So that's a reason to consider. Those are a set of reasons to consider utilizing an outside partner in an outsourcing relationship.
1: You know, at the beginning, when you talked about why DuPont did this, one of the things you talked about that I think is really important it is the connection between training and being a world-class organization, that if we don't get this yeah, right, right we, we won't win the competitive um,
2: challenges. We will not. We will not. That's correct. And so, you know, so my advice to heads of learning is don't wait for your business executives to give you the mandate. Take the initiative. Take it very seriously. It's an important decision for you to do, to do something very different so that your business executives are confident that when they invest in you, they get something back. And I always say, just remember, it's not about training. It's about results.
1: You know, one last comment from my experience, and then I want to jump into myths. I partnered okay. recently with someone who um, recently stepped out of a corporate training role. And when we started doing this, the the work that our company is doing, her observation was what, what we are doing in the leadership space is significantly different than what they were doing. And, and this isn't an us-them comment. It's to support your point that for those of us who do this for a living, we are, the probability that we are most current is higher. And so what companies will, the benefit they get is the latest thinking in any given space, whether it's leadership or technology or, or manufacturing.
2: That's exactly right. I mean, companies can't afford to, I mean, since it's not their business, they can't afford to invest in the same way that providers need to invest to stay competitive in their industry. And so so as a provider, uh, NIT has to invest in R&D, you know, to, to to a large extent in order that we are able to stay current about what's happening in the industry uh, and can bring innovation to our clients in a way that delivers value.
1: Cool. So let's now move to the myths about training outsourcing. So we've made, hopefully, a strong case for it, and yet many people will still have, in the back of their mind, or the front of their mind, some ideas about why not do it based on, in some cases, strong experience they've had.
2: Right, right. So I wrote about these myths in a chapter I wrote, I contributed to a book called Lies About Learning, which was written a number of years ago and published by the American Society for Training and Development. So let's talk about the myths. Uh, The first one is that outsourcing can't reduce costs. And I just think that's such an extreme statement because training outsour or training outsourcing does reduce costs. It does it in transactional areas like learning administration, technology management, um, uh, help desk support, all those sorts of things. And it may in more strategic areas such as content development and delivery. However, I believe the overall goal for training should be. To reduce the unit cost of training, the cost per person per hour or day or year, because if we can, in fact, improve the value being delivered by investment in training, my belief is companies will spend more, not less. So if I'm spending more and I have a lower unit cost, then I'm getting more bang for the buck, if you will. So that's the first outsourcing myth, I believe. Second one is is no outsider can know my business like I do. Um, so, you know, just just to be clear on this, outsourcing doesn't mean that you stop accessing subject matter expertise in your business. It does mean that you begin accessing resources and capabilities that are professional and skilled at what they do. Companies have been outsourcing parts of training for years and years. That's why you have you know ten thousand training companies in the US, whatever the number is, it's very big. You know those providers work with their customers, both training professionals and subject matter experts, to put together learning solutions that directly address business needs. So I do believe that you don't have to live inside the business to be able to provide value to the business. Companies use outside providers all the time. Why wouldn't they think about the same thing for training? The third myth is strategic activities can't be outsourced. This is I think this is code for I don't want to outsource anything. This is normally the thing we hear from, from learning leaders when they're just not interested in outsourcing. You know, you, I, you know, look, I'm strategic. I can't outsource any of this because I'm critical to the business. However, the only part of the training value chain that I believe should be up for debate is determining a business's direction, strategy, challenges, and goals, and then determining how and where training can add value. And even that could be outsourced. But I would say to most organizations, you should keep that role. You should have the relationship with your customers. However, if we're an outsourcing provider partner with you, I want to be shoulder-to-shoulder with you because I don't want to have an interpretation occur, which is wrong. And then I deliver the wrong solution for your customer. So so strategic activities can can be outsourced. just depends on how you go about it. The fourth myth is people don't lose their jobs after outsourcing. Uh, look, the primary reason most companies outsource anything is to take costs out, reduce costs. It's hard to reduce costs at the levels required from companies without eliminating jobs. Also, it's truly an issue. if cost is truly an issue and you don't outsource, it's likely that the jobs will be lost anyhow. And the numbers may be higher. And if you do outsource, there's lots of companies that end up rebadging or transferring people to their roles so that they continue mm-hmm. to retain the culture and, and business know-how of the company. We often rebadge company uh, people from companies that outsource parts of training to us. The last <laughs> myth is outsource. Excuse can you me?
1: can you explain rebadging to people who may not be familiar yeah, with that Yeah, sure. Term?
2: Sorry about that. That's that's technical language here. Rebadging means if an employee from your company is affected by an outsourcing decision and the company that you outsource, whatever it is you're outsourcing to, can use that employee, they become employees of the outsource company, of the outsource provider. So you, you, you leave the company you're working for and you come, become an employee of... Of your partner. And, and, and so, you know, that's a way to preserve jobs. But, but what I have found, and I did this at DuPont, and we have done it many times since, what I find is that, that employees in companies that, whose business is something other than training, when they move to a training company, it puts them in a role, in a company that's doing what they want to do. And they end up having wonderful careers, getting exposed to many more things than they were exposed to in the company they were working for where training wasn't their business. Does
1: that you make know, sense? It, it does. One, thing, one word you've used consistently that I think needs to be pointed out is the idea that as an outsource provider, you're a partner. You're not yes. a vendor. And I think there's a a big difference in that relationship of I just tell you what to do or you and I collaborate extensively on the solutions we're offering.
2: That's exactly right. I always say in a partnership, you can't have one winning and one losing. Both have to win. So you have to make decisions that benefit both companies. You can't be so proprietary about things that you're willing to sacrifice the relationship because of something that you want to get done. I mean, I, you know, I remember, again, I, I, I relate to DuPont all the time when I was at DuPont, and I was ready to do this deal with the Forum Corporation. My my sourcing folks said to me, we have this training program I want you to go through uh, that, that will tell you how to work with vendors. And I said, well, first off, I'm not going to be working with a vendor. I'm going to be working with a partner. And secondly, I'm happy to attend that, but I want my partner to attend it, too. I said, oh, my God, you can't do that. And I said, well, then if I can't do that, I'm not going to attend it. But I think they will benefit from the conversation as much as I will because we're partners. Remember, we're partners. So they allowed that, and it worked out just fine.
1: And it takes someone like you with the mindset of partnership for this to really work. If we're trying to take out costs and treat our the people who we should treat as partners, as vendors, we do end up with all of the myths you talk about.
2: Yeah, I always advise our customers of NIT to don't call us NIT. Once we've done the relationship, we are an extension of your learning organization. Call us part of the learning organization because once you put a name, it's a vendor name on it. People think vendor, and we don't want to be thought like that.
1: And and that drives the entire relationship, and I assume it is the foundation of some of these myths. So what uh, what it are absolutely the other myths? Is.
2: The last myth is outsourcing means losing control, and I say on the contrary. On the contrary, first off, we don't have good control today. We don't know how much we're spending. We don't know what we're getting for. We don't know how to improve it. You know, and and when you outsource, all of a sudden you have a single point of accountability. You have all the costs rolling through one place. You know how to manage them. Uh, you know what decisions to make to affect the cost and the value. So better control. I believe better control is achieved by outsourcing and getting things funneled through a single place. It's like you know, it's like when I when companies hire vendors to do training, like your company, Maureen, I mean, I find that large companies, vendors attack them all over the place, at every level, across every organization, trying to sell their goods. And 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 I know at DuPont and I've seen it a hundred times since then or a thousand times, a vendor could sell the same program to do two different parts of the organization and charge different fees for it. Or a company may have a single need across the organization and get it solutioned by multiple different vendors all doing the same thing. I found 34 different train time management programs at DuPont wow. when, I was, when I was there. And I had these three business sponsors who were part of my outsourcing initiative, and I was telling them about it, and they said, well, surely one or two of those are better than the other 32, don't you think? And I said, sure, probably. They said, well, then let's get rid of 32 of them, and let's keep one or two. But then they followed it by saying, but look, let's be clear. We only want to do time management training in the context of people having a need because they don't know how to manage their time. We just don't want to make it something that anybody can do just for any reason. It has to have a business connection to it. So, and this to me gets
1: gets back to the partner construct that if I am your partner, you and I will be candid with one another about what you need and what's working and what's not working. And it's a different relationship than every department head goes off and signs up for a time management class from everything from the American Management Association to how to use a, a planner
2: right.
1: or a PDA. That's
2: exactly right. That's exactly right.
1: So you obviously feel strongly about training outsourcing. You've been doing this for decades. You continue to do it when you have lots of career choices, I assume. Um, why do you feel so strongly about this need to transform both organizations, outsourcing, and how outsourcing is delivered from the outsourcing side, and from the company side?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I've, you know, I've been on both sides, so I have a different perspective than many people. But, you know, I've been on this mission to help organizations since I entered the training space, which I knew nothing about in 1992. I've been on this mission to help organizations improve the value and, and make the right investments. Uh, but today, here, here's why I feel so strongly about transformation today. There's some recent research from Burson and Associates, now part of Deloitte, that came out in 2017 that said, while employee development has never been as important, faith of the organization and the L&D function to deliver value has never been so low. That's a horrible indictment for L&D inside companies. Corporate executive boards said... That the vast majority majority of learning supplied across an organization, 64% inside corporate training and 70% outside of the training function is going to waste because it, re, it is redundant or of low quality. Corporate executive board also said 45% of all training across all company sizes, all industries is what they call scrap learning, which is learning that doesn't get applied. So you might as well just tear the money up that you're paying for that learning and throw it in a wastebasket because it's not delivering any value. I just saw uh, one other thing. So, Burson also said last year that the net promoter score for internal training organizations is minus eight, and he said it can't get any lower than that. Well, guess what? We had a senior uh, uh, partner from Deloitte speak at our customer conference two years ago, and he said it's minus 31. So, it can get lower than that. So, that's, horrible, so and right? I mean, that's another horrible indictment.
1: We're coming to the end of our re- segment. What's that? We've only, we've only got one minute left. So can you give okay. us a summary thought? I, I would love to continue to listen, but um, we're going to run out of airtime.
2: Um, a okay. summary
1: comment, and then give our listeners your contact information so they know where to reach
2: you. Okay. So, thank you. Uh, so, um, my summary thought is transformation of L&D is critically important. Uh, it, it, it means improving both effectiveness and efficiency, running training like a business. And I would close with saying the view is worth the climb. If you, in fact, can do it, and it's not for the faint of heart, by the way, I will say that, but if you, if you can actually do it, you will realize enormous benefits. My contact information is edward.trolley at niit.com. You can access me that way through an email, or you can go to NIIT's website, NIT.com. You can see articles that I've written. You can learn about how we think about L&D and training and outsourcing and the like, and, uh, and, and you can contact me if you want. So thank and you for of, your time. Name of your book. And the name of my book is Running Training Like a Business, Delivering Unmistakable Value.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. And for all of our listeners who know they need to continue training their their people across a range of topics, I really do encourage you to read Ed's book. It is brilliant about talking about the connection between strategic initiatives and training done effectively. So thank you for joining us, Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. We look forward to hearing from you. I look forward to hearing from you. I can be reached at info at or Innovating Leadership on Facebook. I take your comments seriously, and if you have topics you would like to hear, please let me know. We hope you are able to join us again soon. Thank you.